0: We're going to be looking this morning at how Jesus takes ordinary people and he does extraordinary things through ordinary people. Um, we are going to also remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and uh, share in communion at the close of this morning's service as well. So we can look forward to that. But uh, let's jump into it. The title of this morning's message is called to serve Matthew, chapter 10, verse one. And uh, let's pray. Father. As we come before you, we just thank you. I thank you for the joy of the Lord. I thank you, Lord, for um, order, because there definitely is order. But Lord, I also thank you for informality. Uh, I just thank you that uh, we can have fun. We can we can enjoy one another. God, I thank you for this uh, assembly of weirdos that you have here. Uh, me being one of them as well. And I thank you, Lord, uh, you do so much with so little to work with. <laughs> and that just talks of your amazing power. I pray this morning we would again see how wonderful you are and how you can do so many extraordinary things. Holy Spirit, fill me to overflowing that I may share the truth and that it may build up The church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Matthew 10, uh, verses 1 through. I'm going to do 1 through 15 today. That ain't going to happen. Uh, Let's do 1 through 4 today. All right. So, here we are. Uh, Verse 1. This is all about Jesus after he's prepared the disciples. It says, And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Okay. Okay. That is quite the assembly of people that Jesus has there. Last week we saw that Jesus was preparing the disciples. And Jesus knew that there are great needs. He knows that the needs are many. And he knows the people that are willing to go help in those needs are few. In fact, just Two verses before this morning's start in Matthew 10. If you look at the last two verses of Matthew 9, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Okay, so what do we do? What's the first thing we do? Make an action plan. Uh, we tell all our friends. We do... No, Jesus said, verse 38, Matthew 9, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The first thing that we're supposed to do is to pray. Pray. Last week we looked at how it's important for us to pray before we even make a plan. Hold on, wait a second. Doesn't the Bible say man makes a plan and the Lord directs his steps? Absolutely, you're right. But before you make a plan, you should pray. You should pray. Because sometimes the Lord will give you an answer that doesn't require this intricate plan. Sometimes the Lord just says, no. See, that saved you all that planning. You didn't have to do it. Yeah, but that's not what I wanted to hear. Yeah, but you wanted to hear from the Lord. Sometimes when we pray, God just cuts to the chase on things. And so what we see here is Jesus in the Gospels. We see this account of Jesus calling the 12. We see him calling them in the Gospel of Matthew, which we're in today, Mark, Luke. And we also see it in the book of Acts. So there's four different accounts of these names of guys being called. In the Gospel of Luke, in the sixth chapter, you'll see it on the screen, verse 12 this is what happened just before Jesus called the twelve, and Luke tells us some of the details here. In these days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. Look at that, Jesus prays. And all night he continued in prayer to God. In verse 13 in Luke 6 will tell us, the very next verse will tell us that he then chose the disciples. He chose them. So we see how important it is for our Savior, our King, before an important decision, what is he doing? He's praying. We as his followers should also pray and continue in prayer until we're given an answer. We shouldn't just stop because we prayed for a certain amount of time and then just go on our own. We should pray until we receive an answer. So, you know, Jesus had a three-year public ministry. So three years he's in the, in the public eye serving. He ended up meeting these disciples, you know, either meeting them as they were fishing or, you know, meeting them where they were at, at their place of work. But Jesus met these disciples and he invited, he, he met these men and he invited them to follow after him, to be his disciples. Great. We saw that in Jesus's three year ministry, though. I wonder where this is happening. Matthew chapter 10, verses one through four, what we just read, where Jesus is, it's, he's not calling them here to follow him. He's calling them to service now. It's like the second calling, if you will. The first one was come follow me. And the second one was, okay, now I'm going to send you out. Where in Jesus' three-year ministry did this sending out thing happen? Like how much prep was there for these guys before they were sent out? And Bible scholars, as they look at it and the scriptures, it looks to be something like 16 to 18 months. In other words, halfway through his three years, like a year and a half of his three-year public ministry was preparing these 12, preparing them to be sent see we just love to like can we just get with can we get on with it can we do it can we make this happen there's some um, things that have been happening around the church the most obvious one this morning that you noticed was we ended up giving pastor joe a chainsaw and then you give a logger a chainsaw any tree in any area he's just going to go for it right so, you know, it's got a chainsaw and before you know it, a couple hours later, it's gone. The trees are gone. They're gone. But it had all been planned. There was plans in place. There's flowers that are going to be put out. Something will be blooming on our church building all year round. Uh, we decided to, some of you may have noticed, like uh, one of the ladies at the church mentioned, hey, why are our trash cans right by the ramp? And every man was like, because it's easy. <laughs> You've got to take out the trash go out the door, you dump it over. But once that was mentioned to me, I every time I walked to the church, I'm like, why is our trash can right where most people walk up? And I couldn't stop seeing it now. And so, you know, all of a sudden it's like, okay, let's put a plan in place. Let's get some things going. Let's make some things happen here. And so you put plans in place and they may be happening for a while before anything starts showing up. It's like that. When things show up, we love it. It's like, oh, stuff's happening. Well, stuff was happening before. It was the important stuff. It was the preparation. Jesus thought it was important enough to spend half of his three-year ministry, his public ministry, preparing these men. It was that important. And so I want to encourage you, don't try to shortcut or don't try to um, go, what's the fast-forward button on God training me for something. Let it take the time it needs to take. Because afterwards, you're going to be really thankful that you took the time it took to learn the things that needed to be learned because after the prayer and after the preparation comes the work. And what I love here is in the very first verse we read, Matthew 10, one, look at how many times we see Jesus referred to. And he, there's one call to him. There's two, his, there's three, 12 disciples. And he called to him, his three disciples. Wow. And then it says he gave them authority over and gave them authority over unclean spirits and everything else. It seems like a lot of this is actually Jesus and very little is the disciples. That's right. See, we have to realize that King Jesus has the authority to call people. He has the authority to delegate power. He has the the authority to give um, uh, people the ability to equip them, get them ready to serve. Jesus is the one that does these things. And so this is what this means. If Jesus calls you to do something, he will always make sure you're equipped to do what he called you to do. That's the confidence a Christian can have. Well, I have no experience in that. That's okay. Were you called to do it? Do you remember the Lord calling you to do it? I do. Well, then guess what? He's going to equip you to do it. Sometimes people will ask me, well, Jim, what seminary did you go to? And I didn't. There's nothing wrong with seminary. Some have called it cemetery. um, But, but I think that's a broad brush. I think the idea that, you know, formal Christian service um, can have benefits. Oh, absolutely. It can have benefits for sure. It's just sometimes when a person goes into formal Christian education, they come out going, great. I now know all the information. I can fix it. The church is not broken. Jesus is the head. Church is not broken. The church is full of imperfect people. That's where the issues come from. But the church is not broken. And so is formal education, Christian education, is there, an issue, is there a problem with that? No, but that's not how God does it with everyone. And so, you know, sometimes it's that idea of, well, how did you get your education? Or how did you learn to do this? A lot of it was watching my senior pastor. A lot of it was showing up at the church. And, and when I was done at college, I would just swing by the church because I'm like, hey, you guys need anything? Yeah, we need those rocks swept or we need these lines striped or um, we got some stuff that needs to be organized or, hey, you're a computer science major. Can you help hook up this one printer to our two computers? I think it's called networking. Do you know how to do that? I'm like, yeah, I, I could do that. Sure. There's this thing called the Internet, too. Can we get that? I'm like, yeah, sure. We could. Yeah, we could do that. And so it was just this idea that I suddenly became the tech guy, you know, all Indian stereotypes aside, like the church had an Indian tech guy. And so... uh It was great because it was an opportunity to serve and it was serving doing what I was already trained to do. It 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 wasn't like this idea, like I had to go to do something before I could serve. God will let you serve with what he's already trained you to do. You just may not think what you've been trained to do is something God could use. Oh, you would be amazed at how creative our God is. He doesn't waste anything. So the things that you have, the experience you have, God could use them for his service. So, you know, this call to commitment, this call, this commissioning, if you will, he's calling them to go out. So Jesus is saying to these 12, you've heard me, you've seen me do things, but now you're going to do it yourself. Sometimes it's that idea of like, hey, we're going to go do something together as a church, but it's great. Oh, well, oh, (laughs) this is funny. Uh, We've got a potluck or some barbecue at the park. Wonderful. Okay, the food's ready. All right, what are we waiting for? You know what we're waiting for? We're waiting for the pastor to pray for the food. I just have to say two words. Stop it. Stop it. Anybody can pray. Any Christian can pray to God to bless the food. Somebody just bless the food. It's getting cold. But no, we have to wait for the pastor. No, no, you don't. The pastor's telling you, you don't. Well, I don't. I mean, he usually does it. Well, can you do it? I've just never, I've never done it before. It's it's talking to God. But there's a whole bunch of people. Yeah, but you're not talking to them. You're talking to God. Just pray. And sometimes it's the idea of we watch other people serve and we're like, good. Okay, that's great. Other people are serving. And then it's like, hey, how about you? (laughs) I don't, I don't. The only way you're going to get good at it is by doing it. There's no shortcut. Can I watch an online course and maybe I can get good? No. No, you have to do it. And the thing is, as you do it, here's I guarantee you, you're going to stumble through it. We all do. And that's how we learn. And Jesus makes it that way. It's a good thing. In these four verses, here's a couple of things that we can see of these uh, these men that were called. Well, they're called by Jesus, first of all. They were given power and authority by Jesus. The number that we see there is 12. And you may go, that's a lot. And Jesus, how about like just two people? Like just get two others with you. You don't need a whole... Like 12 seems a bit overstaffed, but Okay. Um, they were made apostles by Jesus. Now, the word apostles is important. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. This is really cool. In those four verses, there's three sets of brothers. There's three sets of brothers in the 12 names that we just read. And I love it. God calls families together. He calls people who are related to serve together. It's just an awesome thing. So you get like three sets of brothers of the twelve or 12 of the disciples there that we just read. Yeah. All of these guys except for one was from the Galilee region. So Jesus is in the Galilee region and he's using, and I love this, he's using local people. Well, here's what the Tellios Christian Fellowships need. The Tellios Christian Fellowship needs to get a high-powered Christian um, speaker from a larger market, a larger city. We'll get somebody that's, you know, well-known. And we'll and get them to come here and that'll really stir things up. Uh, that could happen, but just so you know, that's not our style. We believe that God will raise up people right here in this community to serve the people of this community. We believe that. And so the pastors, missionaries, the ones that are going to care for those that are helpless, homeless, struggling, marriages that are broken, the ones that will minister, we believe they're going to come from the church. And they're going to come from right here. I believe some of the future missionaries, some of them aren't saved yet because nobody's told them about Jesus yet. And it's going to be one of you that does. And then they'll realize who Jesus is and they can't wait to tell other people. If you've been in your humble county for any amount of time, you know there's an aversion to the outside, right? Oh, you're from Southern California or you're from some big city or no, listen, no, we we do things here the way we do things here. And so they may reject somebody From the outside or who are you to come in and tell us what to do but boy when a local young man or local young woman knows jesus personally and they start sharing with their friends hey wait you're from here i know you i went to school with you you live like right down the street from me wait you're a christian all right well hey how does that work i think people are more open when they know the ones that are christians and so what we see here is Jesus, like I said, all of these men, except for one, was from the Galilee region. The one that wasn't, his name, Judas, Judas Iscariot, which Iscariot is actually two parts of a word, ish Kario. Kariot was the town he came from, which wasn't in the Galilee region. So it's Judas from the town of Kariot, Judas Iscariot. He was the one outsider, if you will. Uh, but the other guys were all local guys. Here's the other thing I I noticed too, as we're looking at this passage here, they were all organized. What do I mean by that? Remember I said that this list of of disciples is in four other, three other books. We have it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. And if you line up all those names, I was going to put them all up on the screen, but for the sake of, of simplicity, if we look at it, there's some things you notice. The thing you notice is that Simon is always first in all four of those lists. Judas is last. In all of those lists, except in Acts, where he doesn't even show up. But other than that, if you look at the name order and you put the names there, and and again, sometimes the names, uh, they're called by one name, but they're also known by another name, Peter and Cephas. And it's the same person. You'll see that as you put these four lists together. When you look across the order of the names being read, there are a few names that line up in the same spot every time. And it's as if these 12 disciples are divided up into three groups. Three groups of four. The leader of the first group, well, he seems to be the leader of the 12, if you will, or the the vocal one of the 12. Surprise, surprise, Peter. So Peter's always first on the list. But then you go down to the fifth person on the list, the leader of the second group of, of four, Philip. And then you go down a couple more people and you look at the leader of the last group, James, the son of Alphaeus. And those guys are always in the same order, regardless of which list. And so you kind of see this order and organization, 12 people, that's a lot of people to lead. Well, Jesus is like, hey, Peter, you're going to be kind of the vocal person over all 12. But then even these 12 will be divided into groups. And I love that there's this structure there. I love that they weren't called to just serve by themselves. Hey, listen, you're going to serve, but you're going to go off and go do this all by yourself. Nope, that's not how Jesus does it. There's this African proverb. If you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together you want to go fast, Yeah, I'm going to do this by myself. If you want to go far, though, you go together. If you want to be alone, you go alone. If you don't want to be alone, you go together. I want to go fast, but it's going to be alone. Go together. It's better. Jesus knew it was better. So he grouped them together. And as we read here in in, uh, Matthew chapter 10, it says, and he called to him, his 12 disciples called. Called, what does that word called mean? Here's a a definition of it, called. The Greek word there, it means to call towards oneself. So when Jesus was calling them, he was calling them towards himself. That is to summon, invite. I got something interesting in the mail. I'm sure if you're a local resident, uh, you will get this too. I think we got a picture of it. There we go, a jury summons. Office of the Jury Commissioner, the Superior Court, County of Humboldt. And it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know how you feel when you see those. Because the idea here, when it says Jesus called, it's the word summoned. Okay, summoned. So it's like, hey, Jesus said, uh, when I get a second, just swing over this way, if you want to. No, that's not what the word means. In the same way that a jury summons, the Office of the Jury Commissioner is not going, hey, listen, Jim... When you get a sec, if it fits in your schedule and if you're driving by, Eureka, you're about driving by during the times we need you. Would you mind just popping in, if you want? That's not what a summons is. In fact, there's consequences. You, maybe you haven't read it, but in that box, right underneath jury summons, failure to respond can result in a fine, incarceration, or both. A summons is a a call to appear you're called to appear for a purpose with the consequence if you don't. When Jesus called his 12, it was a call to appear with consequences if you didn't. Because it's an invitation. Jesus wasn't going to force anybody. He wasn't ever going to force them. He was going to invite them. He was going to summon them. But if they chose not to respond to the call, they would have had consequences. They would have missed out. They would have missed out. I mean, you know, the jury summons and the consequences on that, that could be, you know, there's real consequences that can happen. The real consequences to ignoring the call of Jesus is far greater. Far greater. You miss out on purpose in your life because King Jesus knows the thing that will truly fulfill you. And he wants to show you and he does it through a call. But if you ignore the call, if you ignore the king summoning you, then you turn away from ever knowing what the ministry was that he has for you. It means that, well, you know what, Jesus? I uh, thank you for offering that to me, but I'm going to say no. Jesus will accept your no, but there are consequences. And there are Christians who say no to the call of God. I mean, you know, there's people that run the opposite way. We look in the Bible, we can look at the Old Testament and see Jonah, right? Go to Nineveh. No, no, I'm going to the opposite end of the known world. I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm going to go the other way. Well, you know, followers of God are no different even in this day and age. God calls for a certain thing and either it looks too hard, too challenging, too inconvenient. It's going to cost me too much. And so, Jesus, thanks for thinking about me. But no, there's consequences for Jonah. It was a large fish and vomit. It was really sick. But I would say that you should probably, uh, that you should definitely, that you should absolutely Respond to the call of Jesus. The king knows best. And it said that when he called them, it also says that he gave them authority. And then it says in verse 2, the names of the twelve apostles are these. Whoa, apostles. That's a different word. That's a different word there. Yes, it is. Let's look at what that word means. So they were called to be apostles. Apostolos. An ambassador of the gospel. A messenger. One that is sent. Or a sent one. Okay, that's what an apostle is. An apostle is a person who is sent. So this question will come up from time to time. Well, Jim, are there apostles today in this day and age? And the answer to that, you have to ask a question. You have to ask the question being, what do you mean when you say apostle? If you mean purely the definition of a word as a, a messenger, an ambassador of the gospel, or a person that's been sent by Jesus, well, guess what, Christian. Every Christian is called to be an ambassador of the gospel. Every Christian is called to be a messenger and everyone uh, that has responded to the call is being sent by Jesus. So in that sense, in the dictionary definition of the word, yes, a Christian is called to be an apostle. Yes. But I think sometimes it's meant differently when somebody says, are there apostles today? They mean, are there apostles today like there were with these 12? And the answer to that is no, there are not. I take you to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, verse 14. In the, it's supposed to be on your screen here. There's going to be the heavenly city and there's going to be a wall. And it says the wall of the heavenly city, the wall of that city had 12 foundations. And on them were the, look at this, 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Not 13 apostles, not 20 apostles, not 5,000 apostles, 12 so with the Bible, when it refers to the apostles, it's talking about the twelve guys that we were just reading about. Minus Judas. Because Judas was a make-believer. He gets replaced in the book of Acts. But that's a little bit further on. So the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb in this city, this, this heavenly city, those names are going to be on those foundations. So there's something unique about the twelve. There's something unique about those that Jesus called to follow after. You know, um, sometimes a person will, um, you know, they'll throw around the, the titles like, you know, well, I'm a, you know, reverend. Great. No problem. I'm a pastor. Great. Senior pastor. I went to a church it was an Indian church and they had the reverend and then they had the most reverend. And I was like, really? I was like, really? The most reverend? And, and it's one of those where you just, I mean, maybe it's the difference between pastor and like senior pastor. It's meant to show some distinction, but man, it just doesn't come across well in English. Like, most reverend? How about least reverend? Like, where's the least reverend? And so I've been called a couple things in times. I've been called a bishop. And I'm like, whoa, 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 okay. Uh, I've been called, uh, uh, recently I was called Father Thomas. And I was like, okay. And I mean, I think the person, it was a a Roman Catholic background. So I was like, okay, it kind of helped me understand where they were coming from. It just, it threw me just for a moment because I hadn't quite, um, I hadn't ever been addressed like that. Um, um, But, you know, titles are an interesting thing. You'll see this also, even in Christianity, you'll see people that chase after titles. And boy, if you don't mention them by their title. I have been in, in, in rooms with people that, other pastors, and they didn't know that I was a pastor. And, uh, I, you know, I just, you know, would call them by their first name, you know, and I've had, I've had pastors go, well, that's actually pastor, and then whatever. And I'm like, oh, so sorry, pastor, whatever. And, uh, and it's one of those where, I, and then I just say, Lord, thank you that I don't have to have that. <laughs> because if you see me around, by the way, if you see me around, like town or whatever, make sure, I'll be so offended if you don't call me pastor. Like if you don't go like most pastor, most pastor, Thomas. No, seriously, if you know me, if you say Jim, I've had people go, Jim. Oh, I'm so sorry. I mean, Pastor Jim. I'm like, no, my name's Jim. Like, it's totally cool. Because the thing is, when you're called and God calls you to something, people can't take that away. I didn't call myself. Nobody else called me. Jesus did. So I don't have to be afraid of losing something that I didn't strive for myself. In the same way, you don't have to be afraid of it. I think sometimes people, they drop titles because they're afraid that if people don't remember who they are, it's just really insecure. And I think as a Christian, you forget then, who called you? Jesus did. You know, they were looking for, you know, we're still in this apostle, this term here. I think some people, you know, it's like, well, I'm a this, or I'm a that, or you know what? I'm going to up the game. I'm an apostle. And it's like, whoa, hold on a second. And they don't mean, they don't mean I'm an ambassador of the gospel. They mean I'm like one of those 12, like back in right here in the book of Matthew. It's like, no, you're not. Sorry, you're not. And sometimes it's this idea of striving for this title. I have to have a title. I have to have people know how self-important I am. And I look at our king, our humble king who came in a manger. He rode in on a donkey. I think his followers uh, shouldn't be striving for titles. You know, in, in um, remember I told you that Judas, well, the make-believer, he betrays Jesus. There's 11 now. And so the, the 11 are like, well, we need to find another person. We need to know who the Lord has to replace Judas, who will be the 12th one. And so they had a criteria to figure out who the 12th apostle would be. And I want you to see what that criteria was. It's actually in the Bible. Acts 1, 21 and 22. And no human being alive today can fulfill it. Here it is. So one of the men, this is the description. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. That's one of them. It's got to be somebody that's been there and seen Jesus and been with Jesus during the same time. Beginning from the baptism of John, when John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They had to have been around from then until the day when he was taken up from us, ascended. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So they also had to witness the resurrection of Jesus. They had to see the risen Christ. Sorry, no human being alive today fulfills that. There are no apostles the way the Bible describes apostles in this today. It's so important. I just want you to know because sometimes people, they just like to throw titles around. You know what I love is that at the end of the day, I don't need a title. Who are you, Jim? You're a pastor, right? I'm a Christian. I'm just a son of the king. Like I, I get to be a child of God. I'm good with that. I don't need any other title. I don't need it. And here's what I've noticed, that God tends to raise up people who aren't looking for titles. The ones that are, God knows. And God will take care of those things. I just want you to to have a humble heart. Just realize that God has so very little to work with. And if any good comes out of it, it just means God's really awesome. I'm reminded of that often when people come up and go, well, I was really blessed by the messenger. I was really moved. I'm just going, God, you have so little to work with and you're doing amazing things. He can do that in you too. Let him do it. Respond to him calling. That summons, he's summoning you because he loves you and he has something special just for you. You know, these guys, there weren't any, like, special characteristics about them. Like, Jesus was like, you know what? It's like pick a basketball. It's like a basketball game. Everybody line up. All right, you. I want you on my team. And I want you. And I want you. And I want you. From the world's perspective, Jesus picked a bunch of weirdos. He picked a dysfunctional group of people that normally wouldn't operate well together. And you know what that reminds me of? The church. Honestly, think about it. Would we really, in day-to-day life, hang out with each other? if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus has brought us together here? I mean, there's some people in this room that I just wouldn't... We don't operate in the same circles. And so we wouldn't hang out. I wouldn't fellowship with you. I wouldn't like, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee or something. We wouldn't work out that way. But what I love about Jesus is he brings people that normally wouldn't hang out together. And not only do they hang out together, they serve together. I mean, you look at a guy like Simon the Zealot and then a guy like Matthew the Tax Collector... Simon the Zealot would have, would have absolutely knifed Matthew in an alley before they knew Jesus. Because Simon the Zealot, he was the patriot for Israel. And he's like, that, that weasel, that traitor Matthew, that tax collector stealing money from us to give to the Roman government, I can't wait till he's in a dark alley. I'm gonna kill him. And you know what Jesus does? Matthew, Simon, together. Jesus brings people together that otherwise would never be together. And the love of Jesus allows people to work together. And it's to the benefit of both people as well. Okay, so these guys weren't a bunch of scholars. In fact, in Acts 4.13, look at this. Um, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. Uneducated common men. They were astonished, right? Rightly? Like, are you saying you're uneducated and a common man? Same here, Right. The world, when it picks its teams, it goes for the all-star team. Jesus goes, I'm looking for whoever's willing. I'm looking for the ones that the world would go, are you kidding? Like, they're being used to do something? Because then who gets the glory? God gets the glory. I mean, the real world changers in God's economy are ordinary people. There's a battle. There's a giant. Jesse goes down all of his kids. and It's like, yeah, none of these kids. And it's like, do you have any other kids? Yeah, there's one. He's like this little runt. He's out in the field with sheep. His name's David. Get him. David shows up. looks at Goliath. Look at this dog. What's up with this dog? You guys going to let him talk smack about God? The most unlikely. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And this is what um, should bring you a lot of joy and peace is this. God chose his disciples based on what he could offer them, not what they could offer him. God chooses you because of what He can offer you, not what you can offer Him. He's not looking for an even exchange here because that'll never happen. I will never be able to repay God for all He's done for me. Ever, ever, ever. God and I will never be even. Ever. But boy, the things that the Lord has provided for me and given to me that I don't deserve, it's all about what He can do. Pastor Chuck Smith... He's with the Lord now, but he said this. He said, Jesus doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. Oh, I have to have these qualifications. I have to have all these things. I have to do these things. No, Jesus first calls a person and then he'll take care of all the things you need. Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He doesn't Oh, who's the most qualified person? Jesus qualifies the called. Did you notice that in this process, in this very short few verses here, there was no um, application process. Jesus didn't say, Hey, listen, so guys, disciples, a lot of disciples, a lot of people have been following me over the last year and a half here. Um, listen, I got 12 open spots. Okay. They're pretty primo spots here. So uh, what we're going to do, I got some applications, go ahead and fill out these applications. And then, uh, we're going to have you take the application and we're also going to have to do a personality test and we're going to do a spiritual gifts inventory. And then we're going to have you take a polygraph. And after we do all of those things, we'll take it to the board. And then we'll have the committee, the subcommittee, and the sub-subcommittee. And after that's all done, then we'll, then we'll eventually roll out who we've selected. What I love about the king is the king doesn't need any of that because he has full authority to call whoever he wants, whenever he wants, for whatever he wants. He cuts through all red tape. He just calls. And I'm not saying that those things I just mentioned an application, we have applications to serve. A personality test, spiritual gifts. I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm just saying, would you look at how Jesus the king does things? Sometimes we want to just bring that up. Well, God, I, I don't know if I'm the most qualified or the most sound or the most. And Jesus is like, did I not call you? Follow me. Serve me. Um, Jesus said this in John 15:16, And this always helps with our perspective of being called. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus has a ministry for you to do. And for that ministry, this is what you need to know. You are not the second choice, the third choice or the fourth choice. You are the first choice. But you will never know what that ministry that Jesus has for you is And it may not be formal ministry, it may not be in a church, it may be outside the walls of a church building, which is where most ministry actually happens. You will never know what your ministry is, that thing that will cause you to have the deepest of fulfillment in your life because you're doing the work of the Lord that He made just for you to do. You'll never know it if you don't respond to Jesus summoning you. You will never know it if you do not respond to the call. Remember I said, ignoring the call of Jesus has some consequences. You'll never know true fulfillment in your life in serving the Lord. You have to respond to Jesus. And He will always equip you and empower you to do whatever He's called you to do. I remember being uh, asked to serve in the kids' ministry, and I thought it was a joke in this sense. I wasn't married, I didn't have any kids. And, you know, there's like 300 kids between babies to fifth grade. And it's like, well, Jim, we think you should be in charge of that. I'm like, I don't think I should be in charge of that. Are you guys crazy? I don't think I'm the most, I don't think I'm the most qualified person. I don't think I'm the right person. And what I realized was they weren't asking me to actually minister to the kids. They were asking me to lead the leaders. The leaders will do the work. The leaders will take care of loving the kids. My job was to make sure that the leaders were okay. And so I was a kids pastor for a couple of years. And I found some really deep fulfillment in that. And you know what? I would never have picked it. But Jesus is like, Jim, you don't even know what you need. I do. I picked it for you. I'm just glad that I said yes. Is there something that you're resisting God on? Because it's not what you would do. It's not what you think from your perspective you would like to do. And yet you can't deny that the voice of the king is saying, come and follow me this way. Serve me this way. You know, these men, there's something that was so awesome with them, is that they learned how to minister by being with Jesus. There's nothing like hands-on ministry, like actually watching somebody do it and then you get the opportunity to do it after having seen someone do it. Mark 3:14, it says this, and he appointed 12, this is Mark's account of the same uh uh calling here, whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Jesus appointed them so that they would be with him, so they would be with him where he went. And so discipleship is interesting because discipleship is is let's live life together. Discipleship is Jesus saying, here, come, we're going to be sleeping out in the stars. Come out with me. Hey, we're going to be eating here. We're going to depend upon God for our next meal. We're going to pray for God to bring us our next meal. Hey, Jesus is saying to his followers, come with me, let's walk together. It's a long walk, but let's do it together. Hey, let's serve together. Hey, let's suffer together. When you do life together, it's all of those things. Let's, let's, let's rejoice when we share the gospel and someone receives it. Let's not just one person rejoice. You know that one person that goes alone and does it fast? No, let's go together and go far. Let's do it together. And then you have, you know the cool thing about going together is you have at least one other person to rejoice with. You have somebody else to go, isn't this amazing? This is ridiculous what God's doing. How crazy is this? And you know, when things are hard, you have somebody else to weep with. I can't, Woe to the person that goes it alone and they find themselves struggling and they have no one else because they chose to go it alone. For that Christian, they've made a critical error in serving. We were never called to serve alone. And so now, I bring up one more verse that we've seen before just a few minutes ago, Acts 4.13. Remember they saw that these were ordinary, common, uneducated men? I didn't read the next part of that verse. Not only did they notice they were ordinary and common. Look at this. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. When people look at me, when people look at you, do they recognize... Because these were non-believers that were looking at Peter and John. Non-believers were looking at Peter and John and they could not deny that those guys had been with Jesus. Can an unbelieving world look at us and see that we've been with Jesus? Does it show with the way we treat people, act, speak, love other people? the kindness we show, the humility we um, show. With Peter and John, even the unbeliever could see that they had been with Jesus. Why? Because they started to look like Jesus. That should be the goal of every Christ follower is that we look like the person we're following, that we look more and more like Jesus, that we treat people more and more like Jesus would treat them. Um, You know, I... I, uh, I don't want you to um, grow to despise the training that God has for you. The, where I was working before I came here was a factory. We made radios for aircraft. I, ha- I hate is a strong word, but it was pretty close to it. I hated that job. Here's why: there was no creativity involved in it. It was it was an assembly line in a sense. And after you've seen it, after one week, all the other weeks look just like that first week. At least what I'm doing. And that's really all I focused on. And so what I started to do is I started to have conversations with the Lord. I said, God, listen, I was at the church and then now you've opened this door to work here. And don't get me wrong, God, I'm grateful. But, (laughs) But God, I don't really enjoy this job. And I know you know that, but I just want you to know. And also, God, um, whatever you're trying to teach me, I want to assure you that I know what it is. I get it. So this can all end now. This uncomfortable chapter in my life can end now because I get it. Uh, it's not the place of a follower to tell the king what he gets or doesn't get. The king knows the truth. I didn't. And so I was like, well, maybe I can negotiate with God and try to convince him and you don't negotiate with the king. You follow the orders of the king. The perfect, loving, sacrificial king knows exactly what he's telling you and I to do. Sometimes there's this question, well, Jim, if he knows what he's doing, then why did he pick Judas? You know, God knows everything that's going to happen. It's not like he's not sure. Like, okay, I'm going to have 12 guys. Let's just see how it turns out. I hope it turns out pretty good. No, God knows exactly what will happen, but God always gives a person a choice. And so Jesus drew this outsider, this one that was outside of the Galilee region, drew him as close as he could I want you to spend three years with me, Judas, because I love you. And you, I will never take your choice away. I will give you power to heal. I will give you power to do the works of God. Jesus gave Judas power to do the works of God. What does this mean? A person can do the work of God and not be a believer. Jesus drew, drew, drew Judas close, Because Judas, at the end of his life, would never have the excuse to go, well, God never loved me. Sorry, three years, Jesus drew you. You got such a view of Jesus that few people in human history have ever had. Judas is without excuse. Jesus brings everyone close to him, invites everyone to come close. If someone rejects that, that's their choice. That's not the love of the king. The love of the king draws them close. And so, sometimes there's that question, like, why did Jesus choose judas i have a better question and this is a personal one for me my better question is this why did jesus choose me because i don't know judas i know me though i know how little i have to offer god i know how inconsistent i can be and i know how double-minded at times i can be and i am absolutely amazed and i have to ask myself that question judas is an easy one for people to just like not look at themselves anymore they just go yeah that judas what a jerk Hold on. How about you? How about you the way we, not the way we know you, the way that you know yourself? How about that? Are you not amazed that God would want to use you? Because I am continually amazed that God would want to use me. And I love it. God can do so much with so little because He is an amazing God. Here's a question for you. When was the first time that you realized and this would be for a Christian. When was the first time for you as a Christian you realized that you were called to serve? That it wasn't an optional thing? It's not like, oh, there's some Christians that serve, but then there's other Christians that they don't have to. No, they don't have to. It's cool because I can kind of sit in the sidelines and eat popcorn and watch all the other, the few Christians serve really hard. Like that's kind of, it's, it's entertaining. I like it. It's good. I'm just going to. When did you as a Christian realize, when was the first time you realized, wait, I'm supposed to serve? Wait. It is my obligation to serve. When was the first time you realized that? Maybe as I'm saying this question, you're going, uh, I didn't realize I was supposed to. Let me clear something up. Every Christian is called to serve. Every single one. A non-serving Christian doesn't make any sense. Because your Savior was a serving Savior. A non-serving follower of Jesus makes no sense. I remember in my twenties, as a college student, being asked to ride, to give a, uh, to drive a van full of junior high kids down to a hockey game in Phoenix. And I'd started to go to the church for a little while, the pastor, my senior pastor had been talking about serving the Lord, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I think I'd maybe even prayed a prayer, like, well Lord, you know, if you could show me how I could serve, I don't know, I don't have a whole lot of stuff to offer. Like, I'm not, I'm, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot of gifts, I don't know what to do. And wouldn't you know it, in a short amount of time, maybe that same day or that week, one of my friends said, hey, listen, we're short a driver. Would you mind driving a van down with kids? I was like, sure. And what came to mind was, you know what? I should do this. This is what I'm called. This is what I'm supposed to do. Like, it wasn't this idea of like, oh, I have to, or if nobody else does it, I will. I realized, wait, I asked you, God, for an opportunity to serve. And I would have to admit, driving a van of junior high kids to a hockey game was not what I thought when I, <laughs> when I, when I said, God, I want to serve you. But that's exactly what God meant. And so I went and that was the beginning of five or six years of serving in junior high ministry. That was the first, that was the beginning. See, God knows exactly what he's doing. Don't reject the king when he summons you just because you don't understand the point. Know this, Jesus doesn't have any plan B. The plan that he has for you is his plan for you. So if you're just like, okay, I'm just not going to do what God called me to do. I'm just going to wait until he gives me a better option. (laughs) Guess what? He's going to outlast you. You'll die first. He's not going to change his mind. He has something for each one of us to do. And it will be exactly, it'll fit you. It'll be a good fit for you. You won't have to be like, oh, I have to become somebody else. No, it's who God made you to be. And it will be a blessing to the people around you. And if you don't know what that is, please pray very specifically God, show me how I'm specifically supposed to serve you. Make that your prayer. Keep praying that prayer and don't stop until God shows you how you're supposed to serve him. We would turn this entire community upside down if every Christian would serve. If every Christian would serve, and I don't mean formally, like in a church. Most service happens outside the church walls. If every Christian would serve, this community would be turned upside down for Jesus Christ. The work, there's a lot of work to be done. The workers, not a whole lot of people out in the field working. If you're on the sidelines, ask God to show you what He's calling you to serve in. All right. um, I'm so glad I didn't try to do 15 verses because that would have been crazy. So we're just going to pause right there and we're going to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And as the worship team comes up, I want you to consider yourself. I want you to consider what God's been telling you. Maybe this message just kind of connects some dots for you where you just go, oh, that, that makes sense. Maybe that's why I've been thinking about serving. Maybe that's why I've been wondering what I'm supposed to do for God. Maybe that's why I've been feeling unfulfilled in my life. It's because God has something for you to do. You're just not doing it. So how about we bow our heads and close our eyes just right now? And if you're a person who you just want to know what the Lord wants you to do, You want to know what, how the Lord wants you to serve. If that's where you find yourself this morning, we have our heads bowed and eyes closed. This is not a salvation uh, a call for that. This is just you wanting to know what God wants you to do and how you can serve Him. If you could just raise your hands. Okay, like 20 or so people. Okay, you can put your hands down. Father, for these folks, I pray for them. Jesus, you don't have to make up something for them. You have a plan A for them. It's been designed and created just for them to be a part of. And when they step into it, when they respond to your call, you will give them everything they need to do it. Father, I pray for them. I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't um, dismiss options that have come by because they just thought, oh, that's not me. Or I don't know if I'd like that. Or I don't know if that would be a good fit. I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to see the opportunities that are right before them. That may be before they missed. And Lord, give them all boldness to step into the calling that you've called them to do. And then, Lord, I just want to thank you ahead of time. Because we don't have to wait for it to happen to thank you. I want to thank you on this day in November for you answering the heart's cry of people who have just been asking to be fulfilled in service. Lord, we thank you on this day in November for the answered prayer that's coming. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you use us in extraordinary ways for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you hold this piece of bread in your hand, we remember Jesus. We remember His body given as a sacrifice for us. The King came, died, because He loved us. Father, we thank You so much for allowing Your Son to come to this earth. You willingly gave Your Son to us. Jesus, thank You for willingly going to the cross. No one forced You. We pray that we would be ever mindful of your sacrifice, that we would be grateful people. We love you and thank you. Shall we take and eat, church? As we hold this cup of grape juice, we remember the blood of Jesus. We can come and ask God for forgiveness so freely because Jesus' blood flowed so freely. He was our lamb. He was our sacrifice. He took the weight of sin upon Himself So that the weight of sin would not be on us. Father, we thank you from eternity past, having your rescue plan in place. Jesus, your blood was everywhere. It was on the cross. It was on the Via Dolorosa. It was on the guards. You let your blood flow freely. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. Jesus, thank you for being so free in giving. And you gave, and you gave, and you gave. Jesus, that we would be followers of you that follow that example. We love you. We remember you, Jesus. Church, we take and drink together. Praise the Lord.